Well, good morning, Southwinds. It's so good, as always, to see you. We're in a series of teachings right now about what God says regarding our emotions. And if you've been with us, you'll remember that we've been learning together that our emotions should not define us, they should not determine our lives, but at the same time, we also shouldn't deny our emotions. And sometimes some Christ followers tend to deny their emotions, at least the bad ones. But we have been learning that emotions are, are central to how God has created us. You know, we see in the Bible that God has emotions, and since we're created in God's image, then that tells us that emotions as God created them are, are good. And so far, uh, we have looked at guilt and anxiety and anger, and today we're going to talk uh, about the emotion that no one thinks they ever have, and that emotion is greed. But Jesus says greed is something that every one of us struggles with. In fact, for 2,000 years now, Christ's followers have recognized greed as one of the greatest enemies of our hearts. I want you to listen as I read from God's word. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 34, um, hearing a story where Jesus encountered a situation and where he taught regarding it. Uh, we'll begin reading in verse 13, where it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no, no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. 
provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is the word of the Lord, and all God's people say, Amen. Amen. I heard a pastor say one time that greed is a universal disease. Almost everyone in the world has it, but almost no one thinks that they have it. You know, we talked about anger last week, and there's actually a huge amount of anger right now in our culture about greed. Uh, Many people think that greed is the reason we are where we are. It's the greedy banks, it's the greedy billionaires, greedy oil companies. And, you know, biblically, it's right to be angry at the way that the greed of certain people or maybe the way that the systemic greed of a culture hurts so many people. The problem is that it's very easy to see greed in other people, in other classes of social classes, or in other groups, but not to see it in me. You see, everyone thinks greed is a problem. No one thinks it's their problem. In fact, I'll just tell you, I have been a pastor, as you've heard at times, for over 35 years. And in the privacy of my office, I have had people confess to me like everything you can imagine and lots of stuff that I I hope you will never imagine. But no one, not once, has anyone ever confessed to me, you know, Pastor Mike, I have a real problem with greed. It's not happened, never has. And you know, I'm pretty confident that a lot of us right now, maybe you, I don't know, a lot of us right now are are thinking, well, I'm not greedy, how could I possibly be greedy? I'm barely making it. I don't have enough money to be greedy. But that's not what Jesus tells us. I want to point your attention again to verse 15. It's our key verse for the day. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possession. So Jesus says, and he says this universally, he says we all need to guard against greed. I want to show you as we work our way through the passage three things that we learn about how we can Guard our hearts against greed. And here's the first one. It has to do with your heart. Beware of greed in your heart. It starts with looking in the mirror. It starts with examining yourself. Luke begins uh, this story with a man who comes to Jesus. And he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And this man, most likely... He was a younger brother, and his older brother who had received the inheritance directly wasn't really sharing uh, this inheritance equitably with him. And you notice Jesus responds, and he doesn't want to get involved in a family squabble. He basically says, that's not my mission, because Jesus' mission, Jesus came to save sinful hearts. And so what Jesus does is he goes right straight at the actual problem. Jesus discerns that this family is being torn apart by greed, by by a money sickness, by by greedy hearts. And maybe it's in this man, maybe it's in his older brother, maybe it's both, we don't know. But Jesus gives that warning in verse 15 where he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. I wanna point out to you, think about this, there's kind of, 
of an assumption underneath this warning. And the assumption is this. The assumption is that greed is something we all have a hard time seeing. The assumption is that greed deceives us. You see, Jesus is assuming that we will all be blind to the greed in our hearts. And that's why he warns us so strongly against it. By, by comparison, I want you to understand, you can check this out, but Jesus never ever says, watch out, be on your guard against adultery. Well, why not? Is it because adultery is not as bad, not as destructive as greed? The answer to that is no. The reason is adultery isn't as deceptive as greed. You see, you almost always know when you're committing adultery. Would you agree with me? You almost always know. But it's not like that with greed. You almost never know when greed gets a grip on your heart. This Friday, one of our, our home smoke detectors went off, and as we were getting it to quit making that lovely sound that smoke detectors make, you know, um, it, it kind of occurred to me something I, I thought about. You know, our smoke detectors, like yours, they're also carbon monoxide detectors. And, and I just thought, you know what, greed is a lot like carbon monoxide, this, this uh, colorless, odorless gas. You never know it's there, but it can still kill you. See, blindness to greed is just an intrinsic part of the condition. Nobody who's greedy ever thinks they're greedy. Materialistic people, they don't feel like they're materialistic. It's really, really different uh, to continue the comparison than, than sex in some ways. And this is probably one of the reasons Jesus speaks 10 times about money for every one time he speaks about sex. Someone said, spiritually speaking, sex has slain its thousands, but money, its 10,000s. And some of us hearing this still won't like it. I mean, here's reality, and I know some of you are gonna walk out one of those doors after we're all done here, and you're gonna walk out of here still denying the reality, but here it is. I'm gonna give it to you. Greed is a danger for all of us, especially when we think we're not in danger. That's when we're most vulnerable. I think almost all of us have a problem as with greed, especially as Americans. I'm, in our culture, it's just part of the air that we breathe. And, and I say that despite the, the trouble economically that we're facing right now, uh, despite all of that, we live in an incredibly prosperous place. We have so very much. But one of the curses of prosperity is that as our possessions increase, so often does our appetite for more. We just want more. Uh, listen to these facts. Americans make more than four times as much as the average person elsewhere outside of America. But we spend 98% of that on ourselves. We spend more money on eating out than we do giving to charity. We spend more money on our pets than we do helping the poor, more money on pornography than we do combating injustice or oppression. And this is not because we're in such a difficult time, our lives are so hard today. Do you know that as a nation, we give less to charity today, percentage-wise, than our 
than American people did during the Great Depression. We give less. I'll put it even in more perspective. A, a household income of six figures puts you in the top one half of 1% of people worldwide. And yet, studies have been done that show that only one third of Americans who make that much money, who make six figures and above, only one third of them feel like they have enough money to buy what they need. The richest 1% in the richest part of the world feel like they don't have enough. One of the things that results from this kind of mindset is an addiction to debt. 71% of all the credit card balances in this country have only the minimum monthly payment made every month. Do you know that Americans spend on average $1.26 for every dollar earned? Like, you, you may not be like a math person, but can you see the problem with that right there? Do you know in Germany, on average, Germans save 10% of their income. Do you know how much Americans save? Americans save, on average, negative 0.5% of their income. I mean, and just compare. Compare where we live today here, 2022. Compare that to the people who first heard these words that Jesus spoke. Now, you, you, you probably know, you're probably aware that most people who were living then they were living in what we today would see as abject poverty. Most people had like one set of clothes. They didn't know if they'd have food tomorrow. They kind of lived from day to day. They all lived in one room and in a house and there was a lot of them and a lot of times there was more than one family in that one room. I mean, they had nothing compared to us and yet, think about it. Jesus felt he needed to warn them against greed. So, if people back then didn't see themselves as greedy, how much more do we need to watch out, to be on our guard against greed? I think if nothing else, considering this should show us that greed is not just a problem for wealthy people. So what do these commands of Jesus, and he gives two, uh, what do they mean for us? He says, watch out. He says, be on your guard. Well, in Greek, the word watch out, it means to pay attention, to look carefully. It means to focus in. The word that's translated, be on your guard, is a military term about military guards. It's about standing guard. And if I could put it this way, just to get it real practical, these two commands mean this. It means we should be very suspicious. We should ask ourselves questions, just like a guard. Who goes there? What's out there? What's that noise? We should be always asking our hearts questions. We should always be suspicious of everything. And what Jesus is saying is this. Don't trust yourself with money. Keep asking yourself questions about your money. Do I really need that? Do I really, really still need more than I already have? Couldn't I live more simply? Couldn't I, couldn't I give more of what I have away? You see, guarding against greed means that you consciously question yourself. You're asking yourself questions. And I wanna tell you today, if you will not do that, if you don't do that, you are intentionally closing your eyes. You are making yourself blind. You are ignoring the problem that may be staring you right in the face. I want you to notice also, Jesus warns 
against all kinds of greed. Did you see that? All kinds of greed. And it's so important we understand this. Greed comes in all shapes and sizes. See, at its root, greed is, is just an excessive focus on possessions. It's just this, this unending desire to have more and more and more. I heard someone say, because nobody thinks that's where they are, I heard someone say, to make this real practical, that, that greed, um, greed is this idea that my life always needs upgrading. I always need a little upgrade. That I will finally find satisfaction, that I'll finally be happy when I upgrade, upgrade my house, upgrade my looks, my body, my clothes, upgrade my car, uh, upgrade whatever it is. When I get this upgrade, then I'll be happy. Bible says confession is good for the soul, so I'm going to give you a chance to bless your soul right now. How many of you have ever in your life, at least one time, thought to yourself, if I get this, if I can buy that, then I'll be happy. Has that ever happened to you? Would you raise your hand and be reminded God is watching and it's not a good idea to lie in church, right? We're all in this together, aren't we? We're all in this together. See, greed is something that is so insidious we often don't know that it's there. And ultimately, ultimately the reason that greed is so dangerous is this. Greed distorts the truth about life. Why? Well, greed defines life in terms of things, not God. And when we define life in terms of things, we are living in a false reality. Why do I say that? Well, it's because Jesus says life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Let me just ask you again. Do you believe that Jesus generally knows what he's talking about? Okay. Jesus says life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Greed says that it does. And when we live like it does, we creatures distort life. We creatures end up serving the creation instead of the creator who gives us life, who gives us blessing, who gives us everything good in our lives. Someone has said that greed is a heart sickness. And when our hearts are sick, it ends up infecting everything else. So how, how do we know if greed has gotten a grip on our hearts? That's the second thing I want to show you. We, we guard against greed, secondly, when we learn to discern the signs of greed. Now, in verses 16 to 20, where we read, Jesus tells a story. It's usually called the parable of the rich fool. And in this story, I think he identifies eight symptoms of greed. And there are probably more than these, but this will, I think, get you thinking and give you some insight. First of all, there's gloating. This rich man, he, he gloats about his wealth. It's, he says to himself, he's talking to himself, you notice this, he's, look at all the stuff I have. Look at all my wealth. And, and we see that his wealth gives him self-worth. And he, of course, wants other people to see that, so he's gonna build bigger and better barns. And, and this is how it works with greed. If you're greedy, you feel that your self-worth is connected to what you have. It's also interesting that when that happens, you end up comparing yourself to other people. 
James Carville, the political consultant, once said, when you do finally get to the top, your first inclination is not to be happy, but to look around. Like, who else is up here with me? Greed is inherently competitive, and this is at the heart of the reason why you don't have to be rich to be greedy. You ever looked around? Find yourself comparing yourself with other people, like with their homes. My home's not as nice as theirs. Their cars. How come they have a new car and I don't? Their vacations. Why do they get to go there? I don't ever get to go anywhere. Does, does not having as much as you think other people have, does that make you feel deprived or depressed? Like you're somehow less? See, that's greed. That's greed. Second symptom is worry. Greedy people are always worrying about tomorrow. And that's what Jesus is talking about in verse 22. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we, what will we wear? What if I never make enough money to buy really nice stuff? And where is this economy headed? I mean, am I gonna have enough for my retirement? And what if I don't? And, and when we worry, we find ourselves in this place where we are thinking that the good life or true life, it, it consists of material things. And so we're worried we're never gonna have enough. We're never gonna have the money to buy those things. We're always gonna end up like second-class citizens living a second-class life. Now, you may never have thought about worry as connected to greed, but there is a reason why Jesus puts these different parts of this passage together. And I'm gonna suggest to you, both of these first two symptoms are ultimately about greed, about a focus on material things. Think of it this way. When do you worry? Well, you don't worry when you have all this stuff, right? That's when you gloat. You do worry when you don't have them. So both of these are signs of greed. Third symptom is about where you find your security. Did you notice how this rich man kind of like comforts himself with his wealth? Verse 17 says he thought to himself. He's like talking to himself. He's, he's comforting himself by telling himself that his money makes him safe. You have many goods stored up for many years. Life is gonna be great. So what about you? Do you only feel safe when you're doing well financially? Do you live in a panic when you're not? See, greed needs possessions to feel secure. Fourth symptom is about where you find your significance, and this second pair also connects together. Uh, there's a kind of greed in the fourth place where, where people look to money as the way they find their self-worth, as the way they make themselves important or attractive to other people, as the way that they find themselves thinking that if I have this, then people will like me, people will approve of me, people will admire me, I'll be important, I'll really matter. They find their significance in those things, and I think when you think about these third and fourth symptoms, they, they manifest in, in different ways. I'm gonna give you some specifics, kind of going down in a more granular way with this. The fifth symptom is overspending. And overspending is a significance sickness. You see, when you have a greedy heart, money often becomes the way you medicate. If you're sad, you think, I'll buy something. That will make me happy. In fact, we have a name for this, like we call it retail therapy, yeah. A lot of you say, I, I go to the retail therapist all the time. 
you know, and uh, you do. And it may be a sign, maybe a sign of a greedy heart. Sometimes if we're bored, I know what, I'll buy something new, then I'll be happy. I need a bigger barn. I, I want to I wanna go straight to really annoying some of you right now by saying this, and I'm serious. Uh, do you understand that consumer debt is often a sign of greed? See, what happens oftentimes is I tell myself I need something. I gotta have that. My life won't really be happy. My life won't really be secure. My life won't be significant until I get that, even if I don't have the money to buy that. I do that instead of trusting God to provide for what I truly need. See, I'm finding my significance in spending. It comes out in a lot of different ways. Here's kind of the flip side of this. The sixth symptom is stinginess or a lack of generosity. Maybe you noticed as you read this parable that this man who has this great windfall, he never stops once to think about what all his wealth could do for others. How many people maybe he could feed with all that excess grain. He never asks why. Why would God allow me to have so much? He never asks God what God wants him to do with it. All he wants to do is build himself bigger and better and more. One of the interesting things to do, maybe you can do this in your life groups when you study this passage, is circle or underline all of the personal pronouns. Me, myself, I, I, me, myself, again and again and again. Seventh symptom is excessive saving. Excessive saving. Now, the Bible commands us to save, yes. The Bible commands us to invest wisely, to plan for the future, yes. But there is a place where we can take that so far that it's way beyond anything the Bible says. And if you prioritize saving for yourself in your life over obedience to God, if you fail to live generously because you're saving for yourself, that means money. For your future is your security. This is a security sickness. It means your heart is greedy. And then eight, the last one, is you can't stop. You just can't turn it off. You have this incessant desire to acquire. You're, you're never satisfied. You never have enough. That's a greedy heart. Uh, maybe you've read this, this story before, heard this before, and it happened in 1913. John, John D. Rockefeller was the richest man in America, and in 1913, John D. Rockefeller was worth 3% of the entire national GDP, the gross domestic product. I, I did some math, and, and I'm not sure I did it right, but it, near as I could figure out, if he had that much wealth proportionally today, he would be worth almost 700 billion dollars and a reporter interviewed him and he asked John D. Rockefeller well you have all this money how much is enough and he very famously replied just a little bit more just a little bit more in verse 30 Jesus says this he says for the pagan world runs after all such things see to run means you're driven you're driven to overwork. You're working all the time to get all this stuff you think you gotta have. Maybe you're just thinking about it all the time. You're thinking about it all the time, working for it all the time. It means you're not trusting God. It means you're not believing what Jesus says. Your father 
knows that you need them. Your father knows what you need. Your, your father knows what you need, and, and we're not trusting in that. It's a sign of a greedy heart. And, and I hope you, you're getting the picture that this list actually could get a lot longer, I think, because there are all kinds of greed. And Jesus says you need to watch out. He says you need to be on your guard. And I think here's what Jesus is saying if you kind of put it together. He would say to us today, if you are gloating because you have some things that other people don't have and you think you're better than they are and or if you are resenting some people who have some things you don't have or if you're looking to money and things for safety by just having more and more and more and you just keep saving and you just keep stockpiling and you just won't share what you have with others, you always have a reason to say, well, the real reason is you are a stingy person. And if you are looking to money and things for significance and you just buy and you acquire more and more and more and if you just can't stop, just can't stop doing all those things, you have a greedy heart. You have a greedy heart. And those are some of the signs. And when you see any of those signs, friends, even if you think it's just a little bit, and then you need to face the truth, and you need to take your heart to Jesus for healing, because greed is heart sickness, and Jesus is the only one who can heal it. Now that leads us to the third thing I want you to see. And it's in this third thing that we begin to see the answer for this sickness of greed. We begin to see the healing for our greedy hearts. And it's simply this, develop the heart habit of generosity. See, the Bible makes it very, very clear in so many places that, that, that greed can only be healed by generosity. You will never stop your heart from being greedy by just agreeing with what Jesus says here or just by saying that greed is bad or just by getting mad at all those other terrible, horrible, greedy people. It'll never change your heart. Only when you do the opposite of what greed does can you heal the sickness of greed. You see, greed wants to get, but generosity wants to give. That's how you heal a greedy heart. So how do you do that? How can we develop this heart habit of generosity? Well, there, because it's a heart sickness, we need to have a change in our hearts. And I think Jesus points to at least four things in these verses that can help us get a new perspective and develop a new heart. Here's the first one. Wake up to the brevity of life. Wake up to the brevity of life. We see this in verse 20. And here's the thing. Greed acts as if this life here on planet Earth lasts forever and eternity is not real. This rich man's security, it comes crashing down in a moment by a pronouncement that God makes. Look again at verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? I mean, think about it. This guy, he went to sleep totally confident about tomorrow. He already had a tea time. He was gonna play golf at the country club tomorrow. But sometime in the night, his heart stopped. His life ended. Psalm 90, verse 12 says that thinking often on the brevity of life is the way that we learn wisdom. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And I just wanna say to you, you will never 
learn to live a life of wisdom, which means you will never order your life in the right way until you begin to embrace the brevity of life. You see, if what the Bible says about eternity is true, and it is, then it is insane for you to think that the point of your possessions is to make you feel secure here or safe here, or the point is to give you significance and purpose and meaning and happiness here. Why? Because everything you have is on loan. We all know the saying. We think about it every time somebody dies. We can't take it with us, right? You can't take it with you. You can't. I mean, just imagine something really, really silly. Imagine you see me walking around Nordstrom and I'm like pulling and pushing all these carts I've gathered, you know, from somebody outside. I brought them into Nordstrom. They're all full of stuff. They're piled up high. And you say, wow, are you, are you buying all that stuff? That's a, lot of, that's a lot of nice stuff you have there. And I say, no, actually I'm not. I don't have any money. But I really like this stuff. I really like being close to this stuff. So I'm just gonna carry it around in the store. Like that would be insane. Can we all agree? Makes no sense. So I just wanna ask, do you need, anybody here, do you need to wake up and realize you're not leaving the store with the stuff? You can't take it with you. So stop living as if eternity is not real, as if this life lasts forever. Wake up to the brevity of life. Second, Jesus says we need to learn to be rich toward God. Jesus says if you're gonna be rich somewhere, then be rich toward God. In our default mode, what we all do without thinking, we don't have to be trained for it, is to be rich toward ourselves. But that's greed. In verse 31, he's, uh, in verse 21, Jesus says you need to be rich toward God. In verse 33, he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. You know what? A wasted life is a life that focuses all of its energy, all of its effort, all of its time on 70 or 80 years here and ignores what comes after ignores eternity. Some of you may know about this, I don't know, but one of the most influential sermons preached so far in the 21st century happened at Passion Conference 2000, which, which is a gathering of, of college students. It's been happening every year for about 25 years now. Uh, John Piper was the preacher, and it was, uh, those who were there said, it was not a great setting for a sermon. It was outdoors in January in Tennessee. It was rainy that day. It was muddy where they were. The wind was blowing really hard. And shortly into the message, uh, half of, of John Piper's notes just flew out into the crowd. But John Piper looked out at this crowd. There were nearly 40,000 college students gathered. And he told them this story. He said, three weeks ago, we got word at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards had both been killed in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80. Single all her life, she poured it out for one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. 
Laura, he said, was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 years old and serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. They were driving down a road when the brakes failed and the car went over the cliff and they were both killed instantly. Piper said, and I asked my people, was that a tragedy? And a student in that crowd yelled out, no. Piper responded, no. That is not a tragedy. But I will tell you what is. He then pulled out a page from the Reader's Digest magazine and he read these words. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. Piper continued, that's the American dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and your only life, and you let the last great work before you give an account to your creator be, I collected shells. Here, God, look at my shells. He said, I submit to you, that is a tragedy. And he said, people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. But today, I am here to plead with you, don't buy it. Don't waste your life. And I'm just wondering if there's anyone in this room who needs to hear that today. Don't waste your life. Don't die rich in this world and poor toward God. And some of us need to think about this. Tonight, it it could be all over. We don't know we have tomorrow, right? I mean, would God say to you right now, you fool, tonight your life, your soul is required of you, and then whose will all those things that you've been working so hard to acquire and possess, whose will all those things be? Be rich toward God. Third, We develop a heart of generosity when we redefine contentment. In verse 22, Jesus gets right to the heart of what it means to be greedy when he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. He says that your problem is you think money is at the heart of the good life. And and then he uses two very familiar analogies that kind of connect greed to two different personality types. In verse 24, he says, consider the ravens. And the ravens don't sow or reap. They, They don't store anything up for the future. And yet God feeds them. And Jesus says, how much more valuable are you than birds? And Jesus is just saying, birds don't need to worry about working or saving because God takes care of their needs. Why do you worry? And then in verses 27 and 28, he goes to that second analogy. Consider how the wildflowers grow and the wildflowers don't labor. They don't spin and yet they are splendid, more splendid than Solomon, he says. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow. It's just burned up. Will he not much more take care of you, oh, you of little faith? Do you see what Jesus is saying? You're more valuable than flowers. You live forever. You're a child of the Father. Jesus is gonna say, I'm gonna die for you. And what Jesus is telling us with these analogies is not not that we should never save, not that we should never spend money on clothes. He is telling us that God is a far more reliable source, both for security for the future and for significance in your present. 
See, when you think, when you think about the future, what makes you feel secure? Is it how much money you have or is it God? See, if it's money, you're gonna cling to it. You're never gonna let it go. But if it is God, you're gonna be generous and you're gonna be ready to do whatever God tells you to do with it because God is your security, not your money. And when you look at your life today, what makes you feel significant? Is it what you have? Is, is it what people think about you because of what you have? Or is it the reality that the Father, God, who created the universe cares for you and loves you and watches over you and takes care of every need? What makes you feel significant? Friends, we need to stop thinking that contentment and happiness and fulfillment are just around the corner, you know, at that, that next income level. We need to stop thinking that we're gonna find security. You know, when I hit that next benchmark in my portfolio, then I'll have it because the truth is this, both security and significance only happen when we surrender our lives to God and we trust God every day to provide. That's what Jesus is talking about in verse 31. When he says, but seek his kingdom and these things, what you need, these things, your safety and security, what you need, your significance and your meaning and your purpose, these things will be given to you as well. See, are you happy right now? Are you secure right now? If not, Listen to me, that's not a money problem. That's a relationship with God problem. Because contentment is about what we're trusting in today, not what we're trying to get tomorrow. Finally, last thing I want you to see, to develop a heart of generosity, you need to immerse yourself in God's grace. I love verse 32. It's one of my favorite verses. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Jesus says three wonderful things here about God. He says God is the ever-present shepherd who knows everything about our lives. He says God is the almighty king who controls everything in the world and works everything out for his good purposes, for our good in our lives. He says God is the tender father who delights to bless us, to, to see us thrive. And he's really asking that question, can you trust that if you obey him, he is going to take care of you? Can you trust that? And he's also asking the question now on this side of the cross that we know if God would send his only son and he would give his life for us, if God would make that sacrifice for you while you were yet a sinner, while you were yet his enemy, shouldn't you respond with generosity that flows out of gratitude for all of that grace? Think about this. What did Jesus do with his stuff? Well, the answer is he, he gave it away to serve you. He gave it away to save you. He gave it away to give you life. Shouldn't we do that for others? Now, these are principles, and I'm gonna get 
very, very practical here as I, I, I close because we will never develop a heart of generosity without taking action. It's not enough for you to hear what, what's being said today and say, yes, I agree with that. It moves me and I wanna live like that. It's not enough for you to, to not want to be greedy in your heart. Your heart's never gonna change until you take action. And, and all through the Bible, that's what we see God seeking to do. He's trying to make us more like himself. And at the very heart of who God is, generosity. God is a giver. God gives in so many ways. And that's, that's why greed is so dangerous and destructive. Greed is anti-God. God loves to give. He, he, he's constantly giving. He's constantly loving. He's constantly pouring out his goodness to bless his creation. And so what wise people have always understood is that if we're going to become like God, we must do what God does. And that means the way greed is overcome is through acts of generosity, acts of generosity. And that has to be something you choose to do. It has to be something intentional and deliberate. It will not happen by accident. And so I wanna just give you uh, some steps that you can take, deliberate steps that will enable you to defeat greed, deliberate steps that will help you develop a heart of generosity. And there are four steps that are kind of in a sequence and you may find that you're, you're already somewhere on this path and that's fine. You step into this path wherever you are and you take a step forward. Here, here they are. You just start by giving. You just need to give and you know this could be a gift of time or a gift of your talents, or a gift of your treasures. It's most easily quantifiable in terms of our treasures, but if you're not practicing generosity, then what it means today is you start by being generous. You just give, and you need to make it something that's significant for you, whatever that would mean. And then if you're already giving, but maybe it's just sporadically, maybe it's just here and there, well, what about this, this summer? This summer, become a regular giver Discipline yourself to deliberately obey God by giving regularly. You know, one of, the, one of the benefits of the technology we have in our app is that you can automate your giving. You can, you can make a decision and you can set an intention and you can discipline yourself through that just to, to give regularly. And then the third thing is to begin tithing. This is percentage generosity. And it's one of the most important steps that anyone ever takes in a journey of generosity. Now, I would encourage everyone to tithe. It's the habit that I have followed in my life for about 40 years now. And, and it's something I recommend, but maybe, maybe for some reason you're not there yet. Well, start giving at some level, some percentage, and stay faithful at that and ask God to open things up for you to begin to tithe. And then maybe, maybe you're tithing already. But maybe God's calling you to this fourth thing, to become an extravagant giver, to do something that's beyond maybe what you ever thought possible, to do something sacrificial, to do something that makes a, a deep impact because God has blessed you and he wants to use you to bless other people. You see, when you put all this together, God knows that a greedy heart is a sick heart and God wants all of his children to have healthy hearts and healthy hearts are always generous hearts. And so I wanna leave you with this question. Does God need to heal your heart today?
Is there anything that you need to give to him today so that you are responding to who he is in a way that fits how he has blessed you? I wanna encourage you now that you would just bow your heads and we're gonna spend a couple of moments in prayer. And I wanna invite you to do something as, as your heads are, are bowed and your eyes are closed. If you're comfortable, no one's looking around, um, would you just place your hands out in front of you as an act of surrender, your hands, your palms held up, just maybe on your lap, your hands held up as a way of saying, Father, today I wanna surrender and yield my heart to you and you are so good and so generous to me. So God, I wanna be generous like you. And maybe the Holy Spirit is just moving in you right now through the ministry of his word to bring you to a life that's free of greed. And maybe right now you just need to repent of where God has shown you there's greed in your heart. So many of us aren't experiencing the joy that God has for us. And, and God is just saying, if, if you would just let go. And sometimes we get in this argument with God where we're thinking, and some of you right now are thinking, well, this is mine. I earned it. I built it. But at the end of the day, the Bible tells us everything we have comes from God, every blessing, every relationship, all the money we have, it comes from God, and it's just on loan to us. And God is able to bless us when we release it. He, he's able to give you what you need and more. And he gets to use your life to make a difference. And so will you just surrender to him? Will you just obey God, whatever he's saying to you? God calls every one of us to practice generosity. Well, what step is he calling you to take? And if you're fighting something right now, then that's probably the step. Where do you need to say yes to God? Father God, we thank you today that you are a good God who provides for our every need. We thank you, Father, that you are the kind of God who has given to us infinitely through Jesus, your son, his life and death and resurrection. And God, we thank you that you have brought us into your family forever and that you want to use our lives to bless others now that we, we, Father, that we get to participate in your kingdom. We thank you for that blessing, Lord. And we ask that through, through our generosity that other people can know your goodness, experience your forgiveness, your new life, your true security and significance. And so, Father, we, we surrender to you today, to you and, and to your will. And, and, Lord, as we obey you, we ask for your blessing. We pray all these things, Father. Every request that has been lifted up to you in these moments, we pray them all in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior. And all God's people together said,